And welcome to the Glacier Musical Podcast. It is beer, metal, and swearing. I am Nick Cameron of Glacier Musical, and I am joined by Keefe Chashu Pork. How are we doing today? I tried to hold that face for a whole minute. It was impossible. I, try, I chose face. to ignore. I chose to ignore the face. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm wearing one of my absolute favorite T-shirts today. Nice. I don't ramen. eat it because uh, Marochan ramen is crap. I, I eat the good instant ramen. If I'm going to eat poison, I have to import that poison from either South Korea or Tokyo. So it's either Nongshim from Korea or it is uh, Sporo Ichiban from, from Tokyo. If you are poor like I have been poor in the past, ramen noodles will save your life. Oh, ramen noodles are the greatest sandwich. thing in the world. I just wish the, – the problem is, is the St. Louis like legitimate ramen scene – it's all fucking tonkotsu pork. And I don't eat pork. I, I, I have nothing against it. It's not halal. It's not kosher. I just think pork not, tastes like not, feet. You did not com- convert to Muslim Islam? No. I am neither Islamic nor Jewish nor... I'm not really anything. But uh, I'm going to go beer check now if you don't mind. But I'm sure, sorry. I was going to shout out my Selena shirt, but go ahead. Uh, I will say uh, I met a man in 1996 or 7 claiming to have been her widower the way he described it was you know that woman that was shot that was my wife Uh, i saw him i saw the selena behind the music 10 years later looked like the same dude however Mm. i had started drinking again at that point so i don't know i I don't know if it was a a touring musician fun in me or what he also told me that he had an ace fraley les paul so i don't know I don't um, love everything Jennifer Lopez does, but she was particularly great in the Selena movie. And I will never forget that because Selena deserved a good movie and she got one. I have a lot of respect for Jennifer Lopez. I just don't like anything musically she does. Yeah, uh, I'm going to beer check today. I've got the microphone yeah. down like it's supposed to be. So All right. you should pow. Do you hear me? Am I loud enough today? Yes. I didn't even have to mention it. I am drinking uh, Urban Chestnut Stalipa. I have had this on the podcast about 50 times because it is my favorite beer. We'll continue to have it. In fact, I've got another one for when I'm going to kick this one back. I am stressed and I am decompressed. We've stopped being snobby about the individual unique beers every week. Uh, Hopefully when I return with a whole slew of band beers, because I have like (laughs) literally 40 cans of Deftones different beers in my house. You're not going to shame me for being broke and just drinking the beer I have. No, that's um, fine. I actually bought a case of Session IPAs at the closeout store by my house that I will take you to when you come here because you have to go to Globe Drugs once in your life. It is the weirdest store you will ever go to. Half the food right. they sell is expired, but whatever. Uh, I bought a case of Costco brand session ipa for six bucks no shame that's that's crazy um i have a beer check and then i'm gonna make some related music news mentions and then we'll go on to the vinyl check what do we do beer check vinyl check music yeah yeah yeah. bs and then all right so i think i am having a beer you had last week as your number two the boatswain double ipa i have never had this beer this is a boatswain boats boat i say boatswain boatswain it's uh, it's pronounced bosun. You would know that if either your stepfather or father-in-law were a Navy man, which both of mine were, or had you read the boats of the Glen Carrig, 
which is what inspired the Ahab record, The Boats of the Glen Carrig. That's crazy. I love Ahab. We should maybe even do a, a run on them. I, um, you know, my dad was an army guy and he's been gone for like 35 of my 39 years. So sorry. Oh. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, double IPA, India Pale Ale, twin, twin screw steamer. Uh, I guess that's another boat reference. Probably. And then uh, this is uh, 12 ounces, a tiny can for me, 8.4 ABV. I kind of have a bang over today because I drank, for me, heavily yesterday. I went to a concert and I drank. I pre-gamed at my house and then I drank before the show and I almost drank at the show. Uh, I was thinking about it, and then I was like, nah, you really can't do, like, one more beer at this point. But I drank, like, two very high ABV craft beers, and then I drank, like, a freaking Peebs because it was, like, $4. And that's honestly why I bought that case of Session IPA because, you know, if I have two or three beers, I'm having two or three 9 or 10% beers. So it's like, let me just throw in some sessioners in there. And uh, the the Boston Double IPA, that is one of my favorites. I get a, I get a sixer of that almost every time I go to Trader Joe's. I'm enjoying this. I, I'll tell you something about my taste buds. Normally, if I like a beer like immediately, I will drink it again without question. I can almost always tell you some beers take a few sips to like. And if I don't dig it, Right away, I probably am not going to repeat by, but like I immediately first sip chef's kiss. Had you, I would had you never had that? I have. I said I had never had this beer I'm, before right I'm now. I'm sorry. I'm distracted by my guns. I mean, look Life. at life. Who's got tickets to the gun show? Nick. Not me. That's for damn sure. Vinyl um, check, Nicholas. Go for yours. All right. I have my vinyl check this week is a little pitiful, <laughs> but there is something to check. I will say as of tomorrow, I'm starting my next English order. But this week, I got one record. Nice. Wow. Uh, at, the office, at the office the other day. Oh, I got a couple of their records. At the office a couple of weeks ago, one of my coworkers starts talking about, and if you look at the, I don't know if you can see how well you can see, but it's in immaculate shape. I haven't even spun it yet. Uh, one of my coworkers was talking about the Joni Mitchell song, Paved down paradise, put in a parking lot. Oh mm. my! This is a BMG pressing. Okay. I don't know that I I don't have any BMG pressing. Berlitzman, the famous humongoid record conglomerate. They actually, for a long time, were the foremost producers of classical music in the world. They still might be. Or unless it's Deutsche Grammophon. Or did they buy Deutsche Grammophon? I don't remember. Um, so my buddy mentions Brave Down Paradise put in a parking lot as why he hates Joe. Big Mitchell. Yellow Taxi is the song. Okay. I'm going to say, I like that song. That's a good track. And I'm like, that was on the Kevin Smith soundtrack for Clerks 2. No, it was not. Uh, the Talking Heads song. Oh, okay. Uh, which is called... Uh, Nothing but flowers. But flowers. With, it's the uh, opening song of the movie, also. Yes, and it's a great song. I never realized it was Talking Heads. I, I am a fan of Talking Heads. I am not a. Uh, I'm not a mega fan. I have um, Speaking in Tongues, and I've also got Remain in Light. I'm a fan. We 
could do a run on them at some point. I would tell you that if, do a run on if them. you love great songwriting, if you want to talk about the birth of alternative rock in reality, if you want to talk about one of the greatest bassists of all time, you want to talk about Talking Heads. There's a lot to talk about there. Word. What you got for me this week? I have the very apropos vinyl pick as we begin this series on Thin Lizzy today with a record we will get to in a few weeks. Johnny the Fox concept record bought at my beloved Thrill House Records in the Mission District in San Francisco. It is a cooperative record store where the employees get paid righteously. The money goes back into the store. There's no, as much as I love Amoeba Records and chain stores and I miss Tower Records fiercely and I would almost go to Japan just to go to the last Tower Records on earth because I'm that dude. I would go to Oregon to the sticks to go to the last Blockbuster before they close because that's the kind of dude I am, a loyalist and a lover of things. But uh, Thrill House Records, I love you. Then Lizzie, we're going to get to that record in a few weeks. I'm super pumped to jam. This. I uh, am going to end up probably at a couple of record stores this weekend. Maybe maybe I look for uh, Black Rose. Maybe I look for you know something else in that list. I do have a couple of them on my or jailbreak. I've got them on my uh, my wish list, but I just don't have them yet. So gotcha, gotcha. I have probably not even going to try to to get them by a mail order for this at this point. It's too late. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't feel pressured. Uh, this isn't about competition or anything. You're I know, just, I know. Well, I, I know mean, you prefer the, the vinyl. They were on the wish list anyway. Yes, and I prefer the vinyl because when I do them on vinyl, I'm better because I have to actually listen rather than okay, let me squeeze this in. I've got to. I can't get around making the time. Understood. I have actually never seen a copy of today's the full record we're going to discuss today. I've never even seen a copy of it at a store, so I don't know if it's out of print. I don't know if it's hard to get or just I haven't looked, but I haven't seen it. Uh, obviously, Jailbreak is the one everyone's going to know. We'll get into this series in a few. But um, I did want to mention a couple of interesting musical things that popped up. I don't know if you have a take on it. I would ask you about the Deftones lineup shakeup, but I know you're not a fan, so we won't go there. Uh, MC5 has reformed for a new album, new singles, and an upcoming West Coast tour. Um, what are your thoughts about a 50-year-old band with one original living member? coming out with an all-star group of people to basically resuscitate a band. So it's not MC5. It's what is going to pass for MC5. It's it's like saying, what do you think about going to see Sticks? What do you think about going to see Dennis DeYoung portraying Sticks? What do I think about seeing Jefferson Airplane or was it Starship? I don't remember what the hell they were calling themselves when I've seen them. I've seen them twice. Once it was Starship and once it was Jefferson Godley. Oh, it was Jefferson Starship because uh, Somebody to Love Somebody to Love was uh, was considered a cover. So, yeah. So, okay. Jefferson, uh, I thought you were going to say Jefferson's gondola. <laughs> We've reduced from a star, from an airplane to a starship to a gondola. That's where we're uh, at. I would rather see Jefferson's rickshaw. You might have, though. Uh, yeah, so, basically, I guess your take is negatory on this. My take, and I've seen Foreigner with one member and with no members. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, I'm so high and mighty. I won't go do that because. Clearly, I will. I've seen all those bands. You know, it's just, if you can do that and pay for your golden years or help put your kid through college, on one hand, I, you know, I'm happy about that. And, you know, good for you. You're going to make some people happy. 
I will also say that I will never forget the young women I saw at the Foreigner the second time I saw them go talking about, oh my God, I can't believe I'm seeing Foreigner. I've waited so long. And I'm like, there's no one in this band that recorded any of the songs you've heard. So work that out. But maybe it's more about the music than the people in that band. I don't know. That may be unfair of me. I don't know. It's any band. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Quiet Riot with Rudy Sarzo as the only member. I and mean, he just came back in and they used Yeah, he just came back just, in after Frankie so, died. So Frankie's last wish was the band to continue forever. He with no original members. Because even Frankie wasn't an original member. But like Frankie is was the steward of the band, right? He was I disagree with that. I, I can I still consider mental health their their beginning. Okay, I I I know, but I'm just saying, like okay, technically fair. speaking, I know, I know. You're right. You're right. Dubrow was the owner of the band. Dubrow died. Frankie kept it going ten more years, almost till he got too sick. He handpicked Johnny Kelly as his favorite drummer to replace him. I love Alex Grossi. I Rudy is a hero of mine. I talked to him once. He's wonderful. Doesn't really matter who the singer is, as long as they can carry a tune. Honestly. And I don't Give like Dizzy Pearl. I don't like Dizzy Pearl, but like whatever. I like I don't hate it. Like, okay, those songs will continue to get played live forever, which is cool. And you know, maybe if Foreigner stops touring, those songs will never be heard again. No one's gonna cover Jukebox Hero and Hot Blooded and I Wanna Know What Love Is. Nobody is gonna bring those resuscitate those songs as huge. I wanna know have. what love is is on the Rock of Ages soundtrack. I know. Sorry, it's so it will. It still not will a be heard. Good movie or soundtrack or it show, was a play first. Yeah, it's not good. Have it you seen it? I've not. Seen yeah, it. it was. I wasn't good. I, I meant to see it, and I was really excited about it until I listened to the soundtrack three times. Three times is about as many times as you can listen to that and not hate it. Yeah, don't. So anyway, uh, saying that song will what, still be heard. Just that. What one. else? What else? What else happened today that I wanted to kind of run by your brain, but I'm now drawing a blank. Um, there was something I, I wanted to talk about and I forgot what it was. So, I mean, I'm helpful. All right. All right. Um, beer check, final check, music news. I did go to a cool show last night. I saw, um, I saw David, Dave Hawes, who is kind of a punk slash folk punk guy, as well as Chuck Reagan of Hot Water Music do kind of an unplugged show. There was a great country guy who's also a producer of david hawes dave hawes tim hogue who you might really like or hodge sorry i'm bad at names tim hodge Same. and a and a really cool opening punk band from oakland sort of like punk slash 80s pop rock and i love them and um i will i will get their name right this second because i don't want to miss it because they were a lot of fun and i want people to discover them the hot takes from oakland excuse me and um that's a name that is a name and uh they were fun and they have like a whole aesthetic and mood about them live music's important i might go see author and punisher priest is this weekend and i don't know if i can swing it i really feel like it's the last priest tour the next to last priest tour ever and I just don't know if I can swing the ticket. I have this tour covered in another city for Ghost Cult, and I don't try to ever double dip unless I I saw Rob Halford open for Iron Maiden on the Brave New World tour. Oh, nice! So that was Halford's solo album, tour. and it was awful. No, 
It was, I mean, it was one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Holy shit. Uh, he sounded good, but there was no interaction. There was no movement. It was just. Well, that's what he kind of does. Yeah, he's he's looking at the teleprompter. I know, I know. And, but I've seen that, and then I've seen, you know, a video of Judas Priest coming back, and I'm like, wow, you sound great, but you guys look way too old to pull this off, and I don't know that well, I'm going to go. Well, you got Richie for that. He's very you know, I know. Fun, young and fun. Um, I'm more interested right now in, and I haven't even listened, in KK's Priest than I am Judas Priest. KK's Priest is really good. has Ripper, so I love that. And as I'm, everyone what, knows, I root yeah. for the underdog. What I really love, well, see, like, so I am mixed about this because I love KK his whole career. And then his book is terrible. Not because it's the, you know, his book is not terrible. His feelings on his history of the band is so overshadowed by his ending that it almost oh. blots out everything great that he did. Listen, oh, the guy's so a legend. it's like Dave Mustaine's book. <sighs> not as positive as Dave Mustaine's book is. Oh, like, whoa! Really negative. And he feels really hurt and angry that they won't let him back in. Like They're somehow preventing him from... But he walked away. He retired. They they had agreed to retire, and then they changed their mind. And he was uh, like, I'm out. I'm out. And then he, you know... So, like, I do, I do like KK. KK's Priest is great. And my hope for KK's Priest is not only will they play the KK's Priest material, which is excellent... That they will play Judas Priest songs, but they will play Judas Priest songs that Ripper did with them. Because those songs don't get played now by Judas Priest, even though Rob said he would do them. And some of them are bangers. And I and Ripper's he may be a you know a chucklehead sometimes in the things he says, but he is a phenomenal vocalist, man. Like the dude is incredible. He was on uh, Bar Rescue. Was he now? His bar was on Bar His Rescue. Bar in Cleveland is a yep. that went out of business, I'm pretty sure. Oh, it did go out of business? I mean, yeah. John, so even John Taffer couldn't save it. That's, yeah, that's and, and by the way, Ripper has a, is a big family. One of his sons is a metal vocalist who can rival Ripper's talent. Look out for that kid. Um, the, you know, you bringing up the, uh, you know, them not doing Ripper's tunes. I want to just big shout out and big hand clap to Iron Maiden. Because Bruce did and still does Blaze's tunes. He will. Not a them. lot of them. They're not running. They're running out of kind of room to do them now. But like, I would not be well, opposed. It's been twenty to years. I mean, the, the reunion is over twenty years old. So yeah. Well, it still is. Still, the current era of of Maiden is the latest era. You right there, buddy? I'm good. Get a burpee there. I don't know what it was. All right then. Uh, I have nothing more to talk about, but I like where your head is at on the KK's priest thing. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on. The bands after the bands. That would be a really great topic. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Which is half of uh, the Department of Metal Antiquities. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. Which is fine. I don't want to steal the thunder of that, that wonderful show. Oh, well, no. We can steal the thunder by doing albums by those bands that we didn't do. No, man. I like what that's. Any, anything else going on you want to rap about? or anything? Uh, Nothing really. Just what I do want to say I am presently reading a book called A Cowboy's Tale, A Cowboy Song, excuse mm. me, the authorized biography of Phil Linot and Thin Lizzy. So I know his name is Linot because that's. We're Linot. not Irish, but it's Linot, Linot. Yeah. I've said both over my life. It is apparently Linot. And uh, people do call him Philo. 
because his mom was Philomena, and that's where he gets Phil from. His, uh, his teenage from. girlfriend referred to her as Phyllis. Interesting. In the book, anyway. Interesting. Uh, I, and I, I apologize that I'm not far enough along in the book to be really useful, because you know how every rock biography, you've got to like read it, and, and it's like eating your broccoli. You know, you got to eat your meat to get your pudding. Can't eat your meat if you don't have pudding. How can you how can you eat your pudding if you don't? How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? You know what I'm talking about. So I'm still in the meat part. I haven't gotten to the pudding, like Nick Mason's book, which I'm almost finished with. I got to the pudding, and all of a sudden, I was just like skiing downhill through the book. I am actually at the point now where they are recording the division bell. Nice work. And I, I have learned so much in that book about Pink Floyd that I never knew. Like apparently, they had a meeting with Roger. And everyone but Roger thought they were going to continue as a band together. When was this? In 1985 or 6. Okay. Um, but Roger did not think that. Everyone else did. All right, then. Um, yeah, so we're starting Thin Lizzy. And you don't have to apologize because also the goal. So we chose Thin Lizzy. It was my pick to do Thin Lizzy. It was my turn to make a pick. And I picked Thin Lizzy. Or a tin lizzy, which was supposed to be a babe, basically. Uh may may not track that well these days in two thousand twenty-two, but that's what it meant. A, a chick. A cute chick. It was chick. Uh, uh, slang lizzy. for a model A Ford. Okay. I thought. I guess. I think they meant ladies, but um Could have been multiple things. <clears throat> I instead of reading the book, I watched the documentary that I cannot recommend enough which is songs for while i'm away and is the story of the band and story of phil's life and i picked then lizzie and i'll tell you why i think then lizzie is a band that is only thought of as a hit band hits whiskey in the whiskey in the jar is hugely covered and the most popular cover song by the most popular rock and metal band ever metallica the boys are back in town was used in toy story Jailbreak is on radio once a day in you every city. You forgot about in the world. 48 hours. They had the, the R&B soul band playing The Boys Are Back in Town in 48 hours. Right, 48 hours, which is a movie only you and I will remember because we're old enough. And uh, everyone should see that movie. Yeah, I agree. And other other songs that track as hits. And I'm here to say the reason I picked Tin Lizzy is because Tin Lizzy is a band that never got their due quite enough. They never broke in America, which is a tragedy for a variety of reasons. And honestly, the second half of their career in the 70s and early 80s is incredible. These albums are deep, and I would put them on par with Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and Pink Floyd. Most other people might not, but we're going to find out by the end of this if Nick agrees with my theorem on Thin Lizzy. I am a casual fan of Thin Lizzy. In as we, you know, we Keefe pointed out his copy of what was that? Ugh, name already. John, Johnny the Fox. Johnny the Fox. His copy of Johnny the Fox that he picked up recently for this series. I have Alive and Dangerous, or Live and Dangerous. I forget mm. the exact name that I picked up at a uh, estate resale shop in the mall. It's a little warped. Still plays. Still tracks. So it's fine. It's a lot warped, but it was seven dollars. I'm not going to complain too much. And you know, I, I of course I know the boys are back in town. Of course I know Jailbreak. Of course I know other ones. Uh, Emerald, Emerald is a big one. Cowboy uh, song. 
yeah i mean i know a bunch of their songs but i've never and i've got a bunch of their albums in my itunes that i've never really sat down and listened to because i don't sit down and listen to digital music to speak of which is what makes this podcast so hard for me because i have to do that so much but sorry what I really like about this podcast and these series is every decade we swap who gets to choose. So I get to choose the next one. But what's nice about us swapping back and forth is sometimes you're going to get a band that I really like and Keefe has to endure and vice versa. Not that I've had to endure much except for most of Faith No More. Sorry. Uh, I, I think it was really one album of Faith the More you really hated, and the rest of it, I think, yeah, actually. No, it was two. It was two. Okay. It was the um, last two. Oh, well. I love the last one. Um, and I so, actually love the one that we didn't do, but uh, as mu- more than even the other one that you didn't like. Look, um, there, there's nothing wrong with those albums. I just hate them. Okay. That's, and that's, that's the problem with it. There's nothing wrong with them. I, I'm sorry. We already discussed that. I'm going to shut up about Faith No More. All right, then. Um, so yeah, Thin Lizzy, man. Um, here's what we're going to do just to let the listeners set up their enjoyment and viewing and listening enjoyment. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening to a podcast, please like, sub- subscribe, and rate us, especially on Apple, or like and follow on Spotify. These things help immensely, and um, we appreciate that. I, if you're dropping it down. Dropping the knowledge. Bombs. And if you see... Trademark. Thank you, Justin, by the way, because... If you see any of our tweets or Facebook posts about this, even if you're not going to listen and you think, fuck those guys, hit retweet anyway. Fair enough. Um, so here's what I, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set, I'm going to set the stage a little. The first part of this podcast, we're going to just talk about the early days of Thin Lizzy. We're picking up on album four when we do an album proper later in the pod today, later in the episode. And so I'm going to just gloss over the early years of Thin Lizzy. If I may, we discussed earlier that when it comes to the digital stuff, I'm not as good when we have to go through larger swaths. Yeah. So I have requested that when it's a band I don't know really well, that we condense a little bit. Yeah, and and that's fine. Smaller smaller chunks, because especially in the 70s, no band from the 70s has four albums. They've got twenty-two. That's also they true. Because they used to put 22. two or three out. They used to put two or three records out a year that were six to eight songs a record. The records were twenty-eight to thirty-four minutes each. That was a full record. Then, yeah, then. I was happy to see this one was only thirty-seven. Which they're yeah, all pretty. They, they're pretty short. There are occasions when he they, even their debut has many like fourteen songs. We're not doing that. But um, fifty-one years ago was the debut record of Thin Lizzy, self-titled record. If and I may, so, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. There was there was one point I wanted to make, and I remembered it now. Okay. So we're talking about a band that, and you're going to hear me when we get to the track by track, talking about how they're finding their sound still. On this song, we hear Thin Lizzy. On this song, we hear Nascent Thin Lizzy. So we're going to be talking about a band on their fourth album that still is nascent in many parts. And the, there's a reason for that, which I'll get into why. And well, the 60s I, and 70s were a different time because a record label knew that there would be a band like Led Zeppelin, like Kiss, like Pink Floyd, like, you know, CCR, that would be their lot, that could make up for all their losses. So they would develop more bands. 
as time went on, humanity stopped buying as many records. And that's not a new concept. It didn't just start in 1995. It started every decade when middle-class America had less and less buying power. So it, it became in the 1990s, sell 350,000 copies or you're off the label rather than let's bring you along and make you imagine if Finn Lizzie had gotten kicked off their label. Imagine if Kiss had gotten kicked off their label, Leonard Skinner, all kinds of bands like that. Sorry, I just wanted to say that. Oh, no. So Alrighty. We We're had back. an internet crash. Sorry about that. It does happen. No one would know if we didn't say. Um, so uh, you were making a point, which uh, was... Uh, the point I was making, and I think it was already said, but I'll say it again quickly, just in case. On We're talking about Thin Lizzy's fourth record today, which there's going to be a lot of comments by me about nascent Thin Lizzy, Thin Lizzy finding their sound. It's their fourth album, and they still haven't found their sound yet. Because as time, back in the 70s, there were all kinds of bands that could make a record label profitable, even if no one else could. Leonard Skinner, Pink Floyd, Kiss you know, David Bowie, all those guys, they were selling millions upon millions. And that's how the smaller bands are financed. And every year, less albums were purchased. The, the state of the recording industry did not start today. It was a big part of it, I think, is the lack of buying power the middle class has combined with more and more other types of entertainment. So in the 90s, it was, if you were on a major label, you had to sell 350,000 copies or they voided your contract. Now think about, that was 30 years ago. Think about that now. So that's why the good old days have so much more music than the present days. That's an interesting take. I don't know that I fully agree with that take, but I will say that you're not far off in terms of the way you set that up. Um, with regard to Thin Lizzy, so the really brief, the brief, I'm going to, this first section is going to go quickly compared to our usual shit, uh, unless Nick interrupts or uh, has some thoughts and feedback. Interruptions are okay here. Um, the band is formed in high school between Phil Lynott and Brian Downey, the drummer. After um, he left the band that his uncle started with, started and brought him into the Eagles, later the Black Eagles. Right. He was, they had the Eagles, the Black Eagles. Uh, there was another band also. And so there, there was a rival band, which involved Gary Moore at one point, who ends up coming into Thin Lizzy later on. And the Thin Lizzy sound that we know, they didn't have until later on, which is why this early era is them finding themselves. And it's not so much like they didn't know what they were doing. They were finding themselves. And it's not to Correct. say that these albums are not good. It's not to say that these albums are not worth having, especially the third one, which I am going to talk a little bit about briefly. At no point but, did I mean that the, it wasn't good until they found themselves. Just Yeah, it takes some time. They don't, the, sound you associate, the sound you associate with Thin Lizzy doesn't happen for a while. And then it kind of happens by accident. And then it really happens. And then you're like, oh my goodness. And they go on a run of albums that I believe is unparalleled. Almost, almost unparalleled. And I will also say, you made a really good point about developing bands and A&R, which really almost doesn't exist anymore. Bands are expected to come into a label situation 
formed or fully formed. I heard a really amazing story last night at that show I mentioned. Uh, uh, Tim Hoge, Hodge, Tim Hodge, Hodge, uh, was a, a you know up and coming songwriter in Nashville in the late '90s, and some management company, a big deal management company, reached out to him. He's like, I need you to write these songs. You know, are you interested in writing for an up and coming artist? And he's like, Sure, but she she can only work when she gets out of school. Okay, cool. Is she in college? Is it spring break we're waiting for? No, no. She gets out of high school every day and she gets off the bus at four. So she can't start a writing session till four. He's like, well, that's going to be weird. I'm like 40 something. This is going to be very weird. I don't think I, this is right for me. That young girl was Taylor Swift. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> this guy is toiled in not obscurity, but you know, toiled without the Taylor Swift thing. It was a funny story. He told it much better than I, but so development does still happen, but it doesn't happen at the level it used to. And also bands used to have opportunities. You know, if they saw something in you, they would ride with you for a while before cutting you loose. It wasn't like what, you know, one album and you're done. Um, I think that's know. also part of why now we're getting older bands coming out as new bands. This is a thing. Also the preponderance of music marketing and PR and the availability of DIY type things that allows a band that has been doing you know, in relative obscurity, let's say for many years, suddenly at 40 something pop up with an album on Spotify. It's totally possible, which is also why teenage kids are on SoundCloud and Spotify with rap songs because it's entirely on TikTok. It's, and this is where, this is kind of where it's going. But, um, so Thin Lizzy forms over 50 years ago and ultimately becomes the Thin Lizzy we, we didn't quite know yet. And as a trio, as a power trio, much like Rush, uh, maybe even predates Rush by a year or two, and, um, you know, Cream, and, uh, you know, mainly centered around Phil Linett, uh, an incredible singer, uh, an emerging bass player, a great songwriter, a soulful guy, um, and you get the, this sort of congealment in the first couple of Thin Lizzy records. What are they? Are they Led Zeppelin blues rock? Are they Deep Purple expansive trippy rock are they psychedelic rock like cream or the dead they have some funk stuff that would be like hendrix or sly and the family stone like hendrix band of gypsies or sly and the family stone what are they they're not sure they're finding their way so the self-titled thin lizzie record kind of comes and goes it's got a couple of solid tracks on it the second record is shades of a blue orphanage which comes out came out 50 years ago tomorrow as we record this 50 years ago tomorrow. Not a well-known record, but also still has a couple of interesting songs, including the song Sarah about his grandmother, not to be confused with the song Sarah about his daughter many years later that most people know. Um, but they start to kind of find their he way. He quoted his grandmother's folksy wisdom his whole life. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was very close to his mother and his grandmother. They guided and shaped his whole life and his whole According world. According to the book, he, he his was dad not wasn't what... around. He, he wasn't close to his mother, really. She oh, that's not... I, now, keeping in mind, I'm only up to about, you know, 16. Yeah. The line think later, 16. And later on, well, his grandparents raised him, but later his mother... Right. And what, his, what happened, his mother used to work in London, and he, he, was, he was born in the Midlands. They moved to Dublin. Uh, he was, like, literally one, the one black kid in a whole community from a biracial family in the early, late 60s in Ireland. Rough. He was considered uh, to be the first in the way they described it in the book was to many people he was the first black Irishman. I mean that's obviously not true, but that's you know historical 
whitewashing and nonsense, but uh, how, there's a, it was how the people there saw him. There's a VH1 countdown. I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to just be woke for a second and you're all going to be hostage to it for a minute. There's a VH1 countdown of greatest bands ever. They get to Thin Lizzy. I think it's in the top 100. And Lita Ford, I love Lita Ford, and I would like to interview and meet Lita Ford and ask her about this. She goes, a black Irishman, what a concept. Yo, moron. There are many black people in England and Ireland and many black people in all walks of life from all nationalities, you fucking ignorant twat. But anyway. <sighs> Diaspora is a real thing. Dumbass. Anyway, so born in England, raised in Dublin, mother to make money, single mom, help from the grandparents, thankfully. Thank you, Philomena. She goes to work in England most of the time and comes back on weekends and halls. So as the Brits say, halls. And so holidays. And so he really is very lonely. He's ostracized. When he would finally go to England, even just a few years later as a teenager, there are signs that say no Irish, no blacks, no dogs in stores. Oof. And he is, you know, alternately a very lonely and sad, but also a very talented, capable, handsome, overachieving kid. So he has a pendulum of ego that kind of swells and shrinks depending on his moments uh, by all accounts. And he grows this bravado shit where he's just like, I'm not going to take shit from anybody. And he was a tough street kid, actually. He had to be. He was getting his ass kicked and bullied all the time. So this kind of forms his value system. Where he was very interesting enough, Tim Lizzie becomes a band later on that started in the classic rock era that punks actually respected and liked because they were kind of leather and studs and fist in the air and finger to your face kind of thing. And um, so the first two Lizzie records are just kind of here and there, Midland, to be fair. Uh, got some good songs, but just not what you would imagine as, you know, great. And then they get to the third record and the third, the turn, the tides kind of turn. And what happens is in the third record, they, and it's still a trio. And, uh, you know, again, so Philo, Brian Downey on drums, not a powerful drummer, but an incredible grooving, shuffly guy who can play multiple styles. And Eric Bell, who never gets talked about because of the band is known for guitar players, incredible, phenomenal, legendary guitar players. And Eric is a phenomenal, incredible, legendary guitar player because when you hear Whiskey in the Jar, you're hearing Eric Bell. You're not hearing Scott... You're not hearing, you know, you're not hearing those, you know, you're not hearing Gary Moore. You're not hearing Scott Gorham. You're not hearing Brian Robertson. You're hearing Snowy White. You're not hearing them. You're hearing Eric Bell. Eric Bell was key to getting this band off the ground, to helping develop the style we now know. But he also had kind of a breakdown and he couldn't last in the band. And then he kind of joined the Redding solo band and he went to become a blues artist. He still plays around the UK and Europe. I didn't know Noel Redding had a solo band. I'm not yes. surprised. I just didn't know. Yeah, I mean, no Redding is kind of the. It's kind of funny because like we could do a whole thing on Hendrix. My, my, I cut my teeth playing a lot of Hendrix stuff as a teen with my best friend Curtis Dunlap, and he would tell you that Mitch Mitchell was really crappy as a drummer and not befitting of Jimmy comparatively to other guys. And historically, it's Noel that music historians will tell you was the shitty weak link of the Hendrix experience because Jimmy used to go in and overdub all Noel's bass parts, and Noel oh. didn't even notice. He didn't even notice it wasn't him playing. It's like, dude, how well, Jimmy you... Hendrix only hired him because he liked Noel's hair. I guess. I don't know. That's, that's what true. he said. Oh, uh, to, to you personally, or is that something you saw or read? I saw him say it on an interview from okay. the Hendrix VHS tape. All right, then. Um, 
If I can show just how old I am real quick. That's fair. So what happens by, by the third record, still a trio, is the band is getting is recording this third record. And they, as, as told in the movie songs for While I'm Away, which is the song title of the, the Lizzie song. They are messing around in the studio, kind of like the warm up to get ready to cut tracks. And they're playing what is Whiskey in the Jar, which is a traditional Celtic folk song. And it was made popular by a group called the Dubliners, just like you would imagine, like the Weavers in America, Peter, Paul and Mary, Pete Seeger. This is the equivalent of they're doing folk music for Ireland. And so Whiskey in the Jar is a well-known song. It's a drinking song. And it's like a very slow, you know, just a very slow beatnik kind of folk song. And those guys are like rocking a little and playing it like a rock version. And the producer like, stop. Oh, you mean like what La Bamba? Yes. He's like, what are you doing? What is that? That's a hit song if I ever heard one. And they're like, dude, this, mate, this is Whiskey in the Jar. Everyone knows. You don't know Whiskey in the Jar? He's like, well, I didn't recognize it. But if that's Whiskey in the Jar, you need to do it that way. Do your own version. So they put out Whiskey in the Jar as a single. And it kind of starts blowing up. And they record their third record, which, again, still isn't quite the harmony guitar. And you think of Whiskey in the Jar, you're thinking of that riff. And you're thinking of the harmony guitar solo as much as anything and the story of that, you know, et cetera. So third record is Vagabonds of the Western World, which has almost a Kiss kind of Frank Frazetta album cover on it with this caricature of the band. It's very psychedelic um, and larger than life. And they start to kind of coalesce this style that they came up with. And Whiskey in the Jar, again, is not an album track at this point. But it becomes a hit single, and Vagabonds comes out later, and the band starts to kind of become who they are. They still don't quite have the Lizzie sound pat down, but it's starting to come together. And there are songs like The Hero and the Madman and The Rocker, which is a well-known hit for them. It's like their first real hit besides After Whiskey in the Jar. Um, a Song for While I'm Away is on this album. It's the closing track, and it's kind of a mournful little folk ditty like Beatlesy thing you know so they start to kind of become who they become and whiskey in the jar becomes a radio single they get on top of the pops and they get an opening slot for the band slade who you I'm know sorry, that, I, that is the idea of that i of know thin lizzie opening for slade well, Slade was a huge, apparently I know, I know, I know. a very popular band in Europe, especially Western Europe in the early 70s. That's just even such a weird bill, even and if they were, Slade is opening. They were booed off the stage, Thin Lizzy, many times booed off the stage. Well, Jimi Hendrix was booed off the stage when he opened for the Monkees. Many times. And uh, unreally, unbelievably real. But so the band starts to become successful. And, you know... They're starting to really kind of put it together. Blues, early proto-heavy metal, Motown, funk, soul. And, you know, it's they're simple, but they start to you start getting this like storyteller vibe Phil always had. The music is starting to now catch up. Like Phil is always a good singer and lyricist. The music is now starting to catch up to the quality of the storytelling in the songs. So we go out of Vagabonds, and I've tried to make this as smooth and quick as possible as we get into their fourth album, Nightlife. Now, they've had two back-to-back hit singles, Whiskey in the Jar, Oh, and The Rocker. 
And now they go to write this new record. Eric Bell kind of has a complete depressive meltdown and is just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I need a simpler thing. So he splits. And Brian and Follow are like, do we call it a day? Is this band done and we do go do something else? Not call it this anymore? Eric was like the guy. He was as important as any of us. Like, you know, even though. You know, you know man, we, that's a story as old as time. How many right. bands can we name right now? where the classic lineup is not the original lineup. Right. Well, this does become Black Sabbath so, one. somewhat the classic lineup. And so what happens is the band recruits two, decides, you know what we need to do? That Whiskey in the Jar thing was awesome. Let's go to more of a two-guitar approach because it's clearly going to work. I don't know whoever decided, like, this solo for Whiskey in the Jar, this arrangement by Thin Lizzy, needs dueling guitar solos when it was just the one guy. But, like, brilliant shit. So... They get an American from Philly, Scott Gorham, who was living in England and living it up. Uh, a guy that many prophesied to be like a Jimi Hendrix type people. Jimi Hendrix had said Scott Gorham was one of his favorite guitar players, apparently, um, according to something I saw and read. And uh, Jimmy Brian also Robinson. loved fellow Irishman Rory Gallagher. He did. He did. Brian, who's weird that Rory Gallagher never ended up in in Thin Lizzy because it just seems like he's the one on um, not the one Irish legendary guitar player not to be in Thin Lizzy. Could you imagine but, um, if Thin Lizzy had Phil Lynott, Gary Moore, and Rory Gallagher all at one time? I mean, they, yeah, the fact that they had Gary in and out of the band several times is insane. He's a genius. Brian goes on to play at Motorhead and is known for other bands, but Brian himself, in his own right is Scottish and an incredible guitar player. And Scott is an incredible guitar player, a charismatic performer, this lion's mane of blonde hair, kind of looked like it could have been Hetfield's dad. <laughs> like this lion's mane of hair is just so lanky and thin and larger than life guitar style and, and just an incredible player. So now they have this like all-star team of guys. Eric Bell is a great guitar player, but maybe he wasn't like flamboyant, right? He wasn't like the persona to match Phil, because Phil is an incredible performer. It starts to become, really also become an incredible f performer at this point. So they I go think to make his this... vocals could be, under, could be overstated. Mm. Okay. Overstated, not under. I see. Yeah, I don't agree, but okay. Um, so they make, the, they make the new record, Nightlife. I'm saying he was amazing. Okay, I understand. I, I realized I put it poorly, so I tried to it's explain fine. better. That's fine. So... Weirdly enough, this record, while it doesn't quite have, it has one all-time classic, just their version of it is not the classic, it's somebody else's. But like top to bottom, this is their best record so far. This is the record that coalesces the twin harmony sound all the time. This is the record, okay, I'm an ignorant American person, so this may not come out correctly, but you please check me if it doesn't, or fans of ours, drop a comment and tell me if I'm wrong. You can be, you can be, you can have, like your nationality and your ethnicity doesn't necessarily have to define what music you make. Now, Phil is an extremely Irish dude. He's references Irish folklore. He's got a, 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 a European, a Western. One of the last things pattern. he wrote was a poem about living in Dublin. Right. That was like one of the last things he wrote before he died. Yeah. And so, but he's like ex extremely Irish. And, um, you know, there's a there's a George Carlin sketch about uh, James Brown being openly black, right? And Colin, Powell, uh, Colin, Colin Powell is openly white. And so 
Oh, Phil Lynott is openly Irish, right? But also, like, that doesn't mean all your music has to sound like Irish influences. But they kind of start, it's, I maybe because of Whiskey in the Jar, maybe not, but just, like, you start getting this, like, lilting Celtic sound that becomes, it always was part of Thin Lizzy, but I just think now it's kind of happening, right? Instead Where of it's becoming a, instead of it becoming a, a part of, it becomes a factor of. That's go fabric, even. That's a, a fabric, fabric. yes. In, now, from... We're both Americans here, and I'm, you know, Middle American, which Middle American has a very different perspective than, you know, the coastals. I'm the Midwest coastal elite, as I like to put it. But because of that Celtic overlay, because of that twin guitar harmony all the time, it not being a trick, you know, as much as Iron Maiden is a twin guitar band, they weren't a twin guitar harmony band. They were twin guns. One guy shoots, one guy shoots. One guy, same as Slayer. They're taking turns, you know, taking turns popping off. So though the Celticness and the Irishness, I'm sure in Dublin is common. When you come over here to America, it becomes less common and more unique. And that's, you know, I'm sorry. I know there's a whole big world out there. I visited a few of the countries out there, but I'm always going to come with an American perspective. And Thin Lizzy becomes a classic rock band and when you become a classic rock band when you become a canonized band as it were then lizzie led zeppelin leonard skinner pink floyd kiss you know the bands we throw out all the time you stop becoming from this country in my mind you start becoming from this place and that place is a type of music or an era of music so sorry no, that's great. No, and, I'm apologizing to everyone else. That's no, I mean it is. It is, yeah, like it, yeah. Um, so this is the record where it's not all bangers. However, the sound is now. Here. I disagree. I love it's mostly every bangers. Song. I do too, and I have notes. Finally, I, I actually, I, I'm so concerned with. I, I would like people to, like I said, I really, I'm going to hammer this home in the next five weeks. I really hope people come away from this thing loving this band as much as I do. You may not, but I hope you do, because I really feel like this band, especially when we start talking about these next batch of records after this week, they're so criminally underrated, and only the hit songs are really known here in, in, in the West. So let's quickly jet through the tracks, and then Before I'll give some more Before we do that, feedback. I just want to say one thing. Sure. I have not heard a single song off of this album that I can remember. There's probably one or two on Live and Dangerous, but I don't, I didn't know any of these two. All right. Uh, one of them is, in fact, a classic rock classic, probably uh, certainly one of the top 500 songs of all time by Rolling Stones list and is an insane hit song for many other people, just that this band's version of it isn't. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get into why. But uh, so the album opens with, you know, it's all the tracks are by Phil, Phil with a few exceptions. He really dominated. He also started to kind of dominate the band here. Like he wanted an equal thing, but he also felt like, okay, I'm bringing in these guys. It's always going to be my vision, but now it's really, I'm going to start directing this thing. And he co-produced the album. It was the first time he co-produced. And so they open with She Knows, which is a very sunny, not ass-kicking song, but it's a good song. It's like a very good pop rock folk song. And it's a love song, and it's actually written by Scott Gorham with a little bit of help from Philo. 
And, uh, you know, it's an interesting choice for an opener. I might have picked a different song because it's a little, you know, it's a little light to open a, a track for such a band that is focused on being badasses. But it's also like it's an undeniably great song. I liked this song. There was some of the, as I alluded to earlier, there was some of that nascent Thin Lizzy on this track. There, there were some guitar harmonies that were closer to Can't Heat doing guitar harmony than, do, than Phil Lizzie doing guitar harmony. Right. Meaning they were playing together, but they weren't playing together correctly. But I, it, I understand. it came out really well. And yeah. it, I, I thought it was a really good album opener because, you know, it put a smile on my face and it made me want to hear more. Right. The title track is next, Nightlife. And uh, in different parts of the world, I don't know if this is a pressing thing, you will see this album alternately as Nightlife as one word or Nightlife as two. It is the, the releases of the albums. The, the first releases were one word. The later releases were two. My man coming through with the knowledge. Hey, I'm, uh, good, for, I'm good for one or two facts a day. You are. This song as the title track, and also She Knows is the longest song on the record, which is also weird to open this album with a very long song in the 70s, unheard of. Normally an opener is the shortest song on the album. Two and a half. Two and a half is a good 70s opener. Yeah, so this is 513 for She Knows. Nightlife is next and is a sub four minute, and it's okay. It's a rocking song. It's yeah. not spectacular. It's not underwhelming. It's just good. It's, it's a great post-opener song. This is not a this is not a song you would use to open a side or close a side, but it's a great segue into into more. And it's also important to, to remember how vinyl records, especially at that time, they set up their track listing based on the the sound quality of the records. That's why as they get excuse me, as they uh, move forward, Slower tracks, quieter tracks become the last songs on each side because the grooves are smaller. So anyway, that's the point. But I, this one, I remember it. I thought Phil's vocals were very, very wonderful. However, that's all this has. The, the lyrics aren't anything thought-provoking. The music is not terribly memorable. It's not that hooky kind of Thin Lizzy yet. We haven't gotten there. They're still, you know, they're, 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 they're still overhauling the engine here. Fair. What might be, it might have been the best track on this album, if not for the next song. It's Only Money is now starting to kick major ass. So this song, Straight Up Rules, it's, it's hard rock, proto-heavy metal, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Rainbow, all in the pocket, similar, riffy, aggressive, great vocals, good lyrics, not like deep, but, you I know, mean, pretty good lyrics. The lyrics are not deep or not, you know, metaphorically wonderful by any stretch, but he's talking about something. Right. He's got, it, he's, yeah, he's got meaning. And, and um, I do want to say that this song has been covered a lot. And if not for the next song, it would have been the most covered song by the band, but, you know, the band's arrangement of Whiskey in the Jar would be like the third most copied song. Uh, it's been covered by Concrete Blonde on an album track. 
It's been covered by The Obsessed as a doom metal song. It's been covered by John Norum from heavy metal fame, sort of six degrees of separation from Thin Lizzy John Norum on his albums. And it's a it's a badass track. Like, it's a rocker. This is the best track on the record. by, And there's no... No, no questioning that. I would have flip-flopped this in She Knows, personally. I would have had this open the album. It's 247. The other song is longer and chill. It makes much more sense to me in my... my Okay, I I get that. And conventional wisdom definitely says, do that thing you just said. Yeah. However... Oh, God, I'm not going to use that metaphor. Uh, I, I like this being the meat of the banana. You you peel back a little bit. Oh, there's she knows. You peel back a little bit more. Oh, it's nightlife. Oh, look at that. It's it's only money. I'm gonna eat that banana. My favorite part of the banana is the banana strings. And if you're gonna ever bake anything with banana, like banana bread, you want the banana strings in there. Just throwing that out there, some free advice from Keefe. Welcome to the delicious dish with Ghost Cult Mag and Glacier Musical. We will tell you how to boil down your bones. Next on NPR, Terry Gross and Fresh Air. Anyway, so we will not go into Peach Sweaty's balls. Let's talk about one of the greatest Muffins. songs of all. Let's talk about one of the greatest songs of all time, and I'm not exaggerating. Still in love with you. This song, not this version of this song, but in many cases, the original band writes a song, and somebody else makes it their own and makes it incredible. This this version's good. And this song is amazing. It is a, a mournful, sad love song of the highest order. The arrangement ends up changing for other people. They do the next version's arrangement is the one that's the most copied. But this made money. This song's a banger. It made money for them. Phenomenal guitar stuff. Wonderful, sad lyrics. Incredible singing. You really get the whole range of emotions. Just the arrangement is not the arrangement that everybody remembers. I wish I had had time to listen to the first three records because what I'm about to say, I don't know if it's going to be accurate, but I feel like Phil is coming into his pipes and totes, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for a vocalist, say Roger Waters, say Ace Fraley, say Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons to on their first couple of records, sing like Howard Stern in his early radio gigs. Welcome, this is Howard Stern on the radio before he can talk like himself. And this is where we start to hear, it's not just the twin harmonies coming together on this record. It's not just the riffs coming together on this record, but it's everyone taking a step forward simultaneously. And Phil, he might've taken a couple, couple, three steps here vocally on this Mm -hmm. album. And there's not a bum note. There is not, Everything is very, oh God, what's the word? I don't want to use the word believable, but that's probably the easiest word to come up with right now off the top of my head. It's, it's very genuine. There's the word. It's, it's very, the vocals are very genuine, very emotional, very emotive. And they either put a, put a tear in your eye or a smile on your lips. And just with the tone of his voice, yeah. much less the words and again he came out of the box as an excellent singer but this is where the voice starts the the vocal talent and ability starts matching his words and his feelings and meanings perfectly so don't think to say that the earlier stuff is not singing good because he is and actually his singing is the highlight of the early records that don't have mem- that many memorable songs it's his voice that's carrying a lot of the tunes 
well. Um, this song becomes a humongous international, huge hit single for Gary Moore as a solo artist. There's a version of him and Phil just alone doing it where Phil sings. There's many covers of this, including Sade of Unbelievably. This has been that covered is the first times. name drop of Sade on this podcast. On this po- And for real, there should be more because um, oh, she's okay. a smooth operator. That's uh, her. Coast to coast, L.A. to Chicago. Um, I didn't know that was her. Yeah. So the li- the Live and Dangerous version of this song is the version probably most people know. And Gary Moore loved this song so much, it's kind of like why he wanted to be in the band and then made it his own song, his own hit single. And he's associated clearly with that song. Rest in peace, Gary Moore. You'll hear that again soon. Um, so amazing. Amazing, amazing talent. Oh, sorry. Yeah, super duper talented guitar player. And, and and in a band of incredible guitar players, Gary Moore, you know, you argue who's the best. It's Gary or Scott probably, but Eric is, you know, Eric was great. Brian is great. Snowy. Um, the fifth if, song. If you want to, real quick, if you want to dig some Metallica into this, Kirk Hammett now does own Gary Moore's Les Paul. He owns It was Gary given Moore's. to him by Peter Green. Right. Which is also a whole other mood and insane. And also, let's just say that, like, you were saying about Maiden earlier. Metallica's twin harmony guitar stuff is directly from this. This and this and like Love Gun Kiss is where Mustaine's comes from, and James's is this, and so that and Kurt. Oh, Lars and James were big Finn Lizzy fans. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. Kind of like how uh, Jason and Kirk were big Kiss fans. I'm pretty sure that uh, not only do you see the early Metallica guys wearing Thin Lizzy shirts. Cliff has a thin Lizzie patch on his battle vest, on his jacket, not his vest, but his long denim jacket you see in the Ride the Lightning press photos is a Lizzie patch on the front. Um, so the next song is short, and it's a really interesting piano ballad to close outside one of the album, Frankie Carroll, which feels like a very Irishy storytelling song. And I it's have a in my, bold choice. It is a very bold choice and sounds... For the year, we're talking about 1974, so this is mid, early to mid-era Bowie, post-psychedelic Young Americans Bowie, and it sounds like a Bowie or an early Elton John song, and uh, not in a bad also, way. We're also two years pre-Beth. We are two years post-Changes. Mm. We are at the, the time where Led Zeppelin is on the downward swing. Sorry, everybody else. Uh, you shut but, your whore mouth, Nicholas. That's what Cameron. Jimmy Page said. Jimmy Page. I don't said. care what Jimmy Page said. He was wrong. Um, House of the Holy is the downswing. Anyway, that's the that no, that's the zenith. Boulder Dash. Okay. Anyway, Sorry. I make your point, sir. Not about uh, my point is, is we are at a transitional moment in the seventies. In that we are what a year out from Dark Side of the Moon. We are so all of a sudden we are uh, two years from twenty one twelve. This is the seventies. The sixties didn't really end until nineteen seventy four. That's fair. We've you said that before, and I don't disagree. I don't know that I've said that, but I've said a lot of times. You know the the decade doesn't end when the calendar flips. The decade yeah. ends. There, there's always some gray areas, but. We are we we're, we're we're turning the page finally on on the psychedelic peace and love into the riffy kind of you know the blues are 
being exercised a little bit from 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 rock music and we are moving into rock music arena rock blues based rock being different from the blues and different from Led Zeppelin and all of a sudden a lot of bands are throwing out piano tracks yes and like I don't know who in the band plays this piano I didn't really look at if anyone in the band plays it it could have been a guest it looks like it was a guest session musicians are a thing Gene Allen Roussel, Hammond organ piano tracks one, four, five, and ten. Okay. There's also string arrangements. No Hammond. There's also a strings were beautiful beautiful. on this song. Jimmy Horowitz did the strings on several of these tracks, and uh, it's related to Adam. No idea. I know, probably not. Doubt it. You and your puns. Anyway, (laughs) Frankie Carroll, solid, interesting, interesting (laughs) choice to close side one. Not. I, I like this song. Yeah, I don't um, dislike it. I don't dislike it at all. But we we have not... a different uh, a different vocal delivery from Mr. Lina. Like I said, it's, Bowie. Uh, to me, it sounded more like uh, I think you earlier you described this sounding like a bit like a drinking song, mm. and it definitely sounds like something that will be sung in the pub after they've all had a busy a couple of Guinness. A couple of a couple. Um, so that's you know, side one, you know, which Jameson, again has... Jameson drop in the middle. Yeah, of side one has three bangers and two solid songs. Yeah, agreed. Which is better than you can say about their last three albums. So, sorry. And also, again, Whiskey in the Jar is a single and not an actual album track at this point. Remember, kids, there used to be things called non-album singles that worked yeah, on soundtracks. A lot of them. And just in general, they would just yeah. were hit songs. They would just sell... Singles would sell because people wouldn't invest in the whole album even though it's just a couple of bucks different. Side two opens with an incredible song, Showdown, which is kind of a funky R&B rock song, uh, beautiful singing, great show of his range and, and lyricism. And uh, it's um, I feel like this song's a panty dropper. A lot of man milk has been leaked over this track. A lot of babies born and conceived. Making um, faces at what he's saying. Nick is making faces. I, a lot of mood juice has come out. In the mouths of babes because of this song. Oh, whoa, Jimmy Page. Showdown is great. You're going to have a showdown. Any thoughts? I I, I like this song. Um, I I would probably remember it a whole lot more had I had this on vinyl and, you know, starting off the side. But, you know, it's the, the second side on this one isn't as good as the first side for me. But, I mean, that's. I mean, how many records have side two as good as side one? That's kind of why you have sides. But I don't have strong memory, strong memories of this one. I know I, I listened to it twice today. I know that. I got through the first seven tracks twice today. Um, Ricky, Ricky Carroll really stuck with me because it was so odd. Frankie. Frankie? Yes, damn it. Wow, that's not like a dick. That's okay. This is this is interesting, by the way, that I just discovered this. First of all, Nightlife borrows the title and the chorus from a Willie Nelson song of the same name. And Nelson is never credited on this. I wonder if they ever made good for it or he just didn't bother. Oh, and also, She Knows. He may, so he may have been high. He might have been extremely high and not noticed. By the way, apparently on the cassette version of the original album, what did I just say? She Knows shouldn't be the opening song. Showdown was the first song on the cassette version, and She Knows was in place of Showdown to open side two. 
Hmm, interesting and better. Not the first time we have uh, found differences in in uh, mediums. Absolutely. The last Robert, uh, last two Robert Plant albums had were missing the track. They the were too album. long. Well, they were too long anyway, but still, they still missed the track. <laughs> yeah, that last that last one was like, oh my god, what is this going to be on? <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a record by Unearthed Elf out of uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. I don't, Milwaukee, probably, where he had to rearrange the running order because of the to get it under one record. Fair enough. Um, number seven, Banshee, side, so song two, side two. I have in my notes Almond Brothers like, which I think is very sums it up pretty good. It's a very southern rock, American rock and blues influenced song. Not that that's a, pro- a problem for me or Zeppelin-y. Uh, it's kind of good. It's, uh, you know, it's just kind of there. I think it's meant to be a, a interlude. It's not meant to be a full song. It's only a it's, minute and a half. You know, it's definitely something you stick in the middle of a side. And yeah. we're talking about a band, as we have said many times, has not found themselves. And They're starting a- to, though. They're starting to. See, I say this is the album they really started Look, to. Look, they're, they're, they're in the right sector. They're in the right neighborhood. They're almost yeah. there. Musically, but- the Thin Lizzy you think of exists on this record like it didn't before. And I think that's the thing I want people to agree. It, it does. It exists more than it ever has before. But <laughs> we're, at, we're at the beginning. We're, we're... So there's a lot of different hats on this record. And this is another one of those hats. Fair enough. Eight, Philomena, written for his grandma who raised him, his grandmother. Uh, This is a very, you know, soulful song. This is, uh, you know, fully written by Philo about his grams. And, uh, you know, it's touching. I don't think it's brilliant, but it's a very, uh, an emotionally weighty track. And that's what I think his strength on this record is. It's not about, I, I don't think lyrically speaking, He's told amazing stories. I don't think lyrically speaking, he's crafted some metaphors or painted some wonderful pictures. However, his delivery of those, of the lyrics that he has written, create a picture, create a mood, create a feeling. When I said earlier, you're either, you've either got a smile on your face or a tear in your eye, a smile on your lips or a tear in your eye. He, here we go. We got a tear in his eye. He, he loved his grandmother deeply and wonderfully and he, the way it was described so far, and again, I'm, I'm not into his 20s even in the book yet. I haven't gotten to the, you know, the skiing. He, his grandmother, he saw her as his mother figure. His uncle that I mentioned earlier was only 18 months older than him. His, Whoa. yeah, his, uh, his, his grandmother had 16 children, I think it was. I'm not going to mention anything. I'm just going to leave it at that. You, you divine what you want. Catholics. Oh my God! You said it. We're all thinking it, but stop doing it. You have too many mouths to feed. Um, I, I mean, my 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 in laws are Catholic, and my wife has twenty five cousins. Holy cow! All right then. Um, I don't even know their kids' names do, unless do you they can tell to, me their do, names. Do you go to family reunions where you all wear the same color shirt that says "We're the Johnson Family"? I just go there, and no one talks to me. So it's, is the food the food must be good though. No, you bring your own food. It's too oh, big. No. It's too big for that. So you got to bring oh, your own food. Shit. That's, that's, yeah, all right. I know. Um, I didn't marry her for her family. I married her. That, I, yeah, she sounds like a, your Nick's wife sounds amazing. I've never met her, but she sounds unbelievable. Um, totally is. Totally is. 
The next song is are, is arguably one of the most underrated songs in the Thin Lizzy catalog. And I throw, I know I'm saying a lot of wild shit today, but I just feel like this is such a step up from their other shit. So Shalala is like Clutch 50 years before Clutch. This song is unreal. It's heavy. It's heavy metal before it's Black Sabbath. It's Zeppelin heaviest Zeppelin. Levy breaks, no quarter Zeppelin. And it's called Shalala. Yeah, yeah. Like throw that out for a second. It's called Shalala. Whatever. It's it's not Mr. Jones. It's Shalala. But whatever it is, it's heavy. Tribal drumming, earthly riffs, heavy bass, aggressive. Uh, it's been covered by Slaufeg, which is one of the heaviest bands in the world in the doom metal genre, okay? At live and on record, this album's, this song's been covered. And no one talks about it, and I feel like I'm the only person that has ever loved this song, really. Beside the I, I, I've loved it today. Yeah, so it's a heavy track. Any other thoughts besides you loved it today? I, it's called Shalala. Yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> they probably didn't have, again, one of those like Robert Plant things, whatever the track name is in the practice session stays. Look, they, it's, it's it's not far from Shubba-Lubbin. It's Shubba-Lubba-Lub. <laughs> it's, it's basically, it, it's proto-Shubba-Lubba-Lub. It is a proto-Shubba-Lub, but the track is a banger. No, it's, it's a, a real heavy banger. And it's almost a precursor to what's to come on the next record where they start to really lean into the heaviness which I, and you we know, haven't really we haven't band. really talked about the riffing much on this record there's a lot of riffs man a lot of solos there's a lot guitar. of riffs a lot of good solos there's a lot twin of leads what i call angular guitar sounds hmm. I, I don't know how else to describe it i don't know if anybody even knows what that means but it's like i mean i think of black flag when i think of that word or dillinger uh, escape plan but you must mean something else no i, I do Dill, wow, dillinger escape plan it's, it's it's like graphing it's like a graphing calculator where the eight is broken so it's like <laughs> missing stuff which makes it uncomfortable but, see also mashuga every album go i no, love don't That's don't see mashuga mashuga is they, they just want to win the heavy metal arms race and they, they win it's great fine whatever write some songs though hot take i said it um no like that that the the like the boys are back in town the the harmony that is an angular riff where it's okay. going somewhere and oof. it's not a pentatonic classic right. blues scale it actually goes in different directions right a lot. that's yeah, an I angular what you meant. and there's a lot of that on this record fair enough and that is something that really hadn't been heard much before because we still have we still have pentatonic blues all over everything at this point. True. And that's one of the things that we're going to end up talking about next week is when Lizzie matures out of this phase to the next phase, they almost transcend the pentatonic scale and forget it completely, which is why they sound so unique in the in the next bunch of albums. Because like, it's almost not there. Except well, Still mean, Loving You is like one of the last times you hear of a box guitar solo. Of, look, uh, if, if, you know my, if you know minor pentatonic, you can play 80% of all Black Sabbath and 80% of all Led Zeppelin. True. And so, it, and, it, and those bands are so omnipresent that it just feels like everyone did that. Kirk Hammett actually gave up the pentatonic after a while because everybody did it. He needed to give up the wah wah. But anyway. No, just, he did not. He needed two wah wah. No. So, so Shalala. Not the best titled song, but a heavy-ass song. Good track. The album closes on a bit of a downer, Dear Heart. 
a I very like, I like it when an album closes like that. I know you do. I tend to go for the more uplifting, transcendent song, but that's not always possible. And I'm gonna say Dear Heart, what it lacks in you know, it's not a lacking song. What it lacks in its oomph and PMA, it's not positive, it's very sad, isn't a masterpiece of vocals and lyrics because it's actually, you know, again, it's that street Lizzie. It's that street Philo. It's that street fighting man. This is a song about drug addiction. This is a song about the realities of unhappiness and what lead, what it lead, what it drives you to, alcoholism and drug addiction, which factors heavily in Phil's life after this point, or maybe even up to this point. And so we just didn't, he hadn't really expressed it. So you do have She Knows, Still in Love With You, Showdown, Philomena, and Dear Heart that have emotional gravity. So that's more than half the record of just very deep, penetrating to your soul songs, even if the music is not like it matching it. So I do like Dear Heart. It's uh, just very sad. And very, and like, go back and listen to this song, go listen to these words. And then you'd be like, oh, I understand now. This guy was already in a lot of pain to begin with. And then uh, he, other yeah. I'm not gonna speak for him by any stretch, but I, I can imagine that his upbringing, his childhood because he's still basically a child at this point. It's 1974. He, what is he, 18, 20? No. 22? He's in his 20s. 75? No. I'm, I'm sorry. I think like 25-year-olds are kids still. So. I think he died at 34 in 1986. So he's not yet. You're I didn't realize so he was that young. young. Wow. Yeah, very young. Okay, fair robbed. enough. We got robbed. So he's, he's like 22 here. 22 22 23 um, that, that's that's still a kid with with his fourth record in four or five years well yeah in, in three nice. years his fourth record in three years so uh you know and it closes on a saddie a little frowny but um let's also for a second look at the world at this point in time mm-hmm. let's look at the the swath of popular music 1973 to five okay give me a melancholy song by one of the big bands I mean, I don't know. Going to California. Exactly. Really? <laughs> I, don't know. I didn't see any girls. I'm going through changes. Changes? I give you changes. That's piano ballad. Yeah. It's we're, we're it's the 70s were a lot like the nostalgic remembered 80s where everything was cocaine and parties. But it's in this Feelings, genuine emotion, as much as I love bands like Led Zeppelin, not a whole lot of it in them. You know, a lot of it is parties and, oh, I don't want to use that phrase. I'm not going to. Parties and, oh, look, we care about things like fish in the water. Marvin Gaye cares about fish in the water, so so do we. And, I mean, Led Zeppelin always sounded disingenuous when they tried to, like, be emotional uh, Robert Plant was far better when he sang emotionally about Lord of the Rings. I mean, that I believed. But the, the idea of, in 1974, having multiple emotions was foreign for a musician. You know, Kiss does not write a song in 20 records where they're not happy and thrilled forever while they're dealing with everything that they're going through all the time tears are fallen or i still love you are the first two sad songs ever tears are fallen is not sad no 
No, that song is maybe the tears he's talking about are not the tears you cry out of your eye, but the tears you cry out of your. Whoa. Okay. Uh, you cannot be sad in fingerless gloves with fringes and a giant pink unitard. It's impossible. You cannot wear that without smiling. And then you got that kick-ass Bruce Kulick guitar solo, like his best solo ever. No, it's it's not. Sad. Um, I still love you. Was sad, but. You know, it's, why are we talking about Kiss? Um, we can't help ourselves. You can't help yourself. You I started can't. it. I, I mean, did. I, Dead I, Heart. I, Dead Heart's a good song. It's an interesting choice to end the record. This record starts to kind of bring together what becomes the Thin Lizzy we know on the next record. Uh, it is Gary Moore, by the way, that co- that plays lead guitar on this track in this version of this album. So I think like Phil was circling Gary, and Gary was circling the band, but he just didn't join. He demoed some songs with them. He demoed this song with them. He played the solo on the album. Uh, there's also a uh, Irish singer, Frank Miller, Frankie Miller, who I really have no awareness of, that also sings co-lead vocals on Still in Love With You, did a whole verse and a chorus. I didn't notice. Sounds like Phil. Similar to Roy Harper and how Roger and Roy Harper sound a lot alike, and also Roy Harper weirdly sounds like Robert Plant sometimes. Did you know and, that Glenn Hughes was on the Molly Crew self-titled solo record? No. He is. All right, then. Listen to that record and tell me if you can find it, because I sure as hell couldn't. I couldn't. Anything is better than this. But anyway. Um, it was John Karabi. This ra- oh, that one. This yeah. record is Anything is Better Than Vince. There it is. Uh, yeah, man, this is the first really top-to-bottom record from the band that's like no filler and all at least decent to good. If Agreed. Some of them are great. Some of them are great. The whole record's not great, but like a lot of the tracks are excellent and good. And they really start to find themselves in time for the next record. And the next few weeks, we're going to do one record at a time. And I think that's going to suit the pod, suit the, the the respect for the albums. And um, again, I will say we're kind of truncating the beginning of the career because I could have done Vagabonds as a whole record. And we're truncating. We're going to just advance warning. So don't yell at us later. You probably will. We're going to truncate the end of the Lizzie career by stopping abruptly before they still they still had like a couple of good records. But we're stopping short. Maybe we'll mention them at the end, but we're not going to delve deep. And so I just wanted to kind of stop. I'm ready to stop here and say, I really like this record in hindsight. Obviously, people know the couple of hit songs, but I think it's a good. Shalala is a heavy. So you love heavy metal. Go back and listen to that Shalala song. Forget about the title for a second. and Just rock out because it's worth it. And I would love to see Clutch do a cover of that, by the way. Again, it sounds like a, it sounds like soap makers. It sounds like a Clutch. Elephant Riders. It sounds like that on the drums. And this dude is not known as a heavy banging drummer. He's known as like a shuffle groove kind of dude. For me, this record is a solid seven and a half out of ten, which to be clear, I don't rate records like grade <clears throat> school, grade school grades. You know, so seven and a half, that's better than 75% of all records that have come before it. That's a good thing. Five is <clears throat> mediocre, one is bad. There, like, oh, okay. there. So, uh, I feel like five is poor. Five and four are very poor to me. But that's I, I'm a little see, to me, five harsher is, than you. It just determines what you, how you, how you, how you do it. You know, if, if anyway, not the point. Point. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I'll call anyway, it a strong yeah. record. It's got three 
three probably great songs. Uh, and everything else is at least good. Yeah, Still in Love With You is argu- is inarguably one of the best songs ever written, ever. And it's just probably. maybe not this, not this version that people hear, but like that song is not, you know, in question. Probably the worst song on the record would be the uh, Frankie Frankie Carroll. Okay. But Frankie Carroll is so amusingly interesting that it, I mean, and I like that song. It's, I think it's a really good song, but that's probably the worst song on the record. So mm-hmm. the worst song on the record is this goofy wackadoo song that doesn't know what it is. Okay, that's probably right. But, you know, Nightlife is a little pedestrian, the song itself. But that's about as far as it goes, you know. You've got a lot of really good stuff, a lot of really, really great stuff as well. So here we have a band that if I had heard this contemporarily, I would have thought to myself, okay, this is someone to pay attention to. Yeah, fair enough. Um, All right, man, this was a good, to me, a very good first one. I and agree. Uh, we're really gonna the can open with the next couple because they just get progressively more awesome in my personal view. So get with us next week if you are still with us. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate this because I know I listen. Because I need to hear my own voice because I am that much of a narcissist. So as always, Keefe, thank you for being here. Thank you for indulging my beliefs that. I matter, and I'm just kidding. I'm awesome. Motherfucker, let's quote my good man's foes. Motherfucker, I'm awesome. But I, I do appreciate everybody checking in. I do appreciate everybody who has stuck with us. Our audience is growing. Thank you very much. Please share. It is, as I have said before in the past, I believe this content is worthwhile. It is I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was worthwhile. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. And that's what matters. I have fun. Hopefully you have fun listening and hate me. So anything else? I'm all good. Take us home, daddy. All righty. Thank you for listening to the Glacially Musical Podcast. As always, it does not play in Peoria.